You're listening to the KB Podcast Network. <laughs> Coming up on this episode of the Kingdom Bringer Podcast. You know, in my home, my dad and I challenged each other. Actual fist fight. It's, uh, times where I pulled a knife out on my dad and he just turned it around on me. In that moment, I was like, you know what, I just can't do this. Like, I'm not going to go to prison for something I didn't do, you know? And um, I'm, I'm like, it's over. And so I ran headfirst out of a three-story loft, supermaned it out of a closed window. Was asking the Lord, I was like, you know, what are we going to do here? And I just hear, the charges will be dropped, your bills will be paid, and you will walk again. Welcome back to the Kingdom Bringer Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Eubanks. Today, we have an awesome episode for you. A radical story about radical redemption, radical transformation, a miraculous story. I got to sit down with Rob Decker from Colorado Springs. He reached out to me actually through Facebook and said, yo, Someone told me that I'm supposed to get with you. <laughs> and so we started up this social media relationship. Has an awesome story. and You guys are going to hear about it. Um, fantastic. I love hearing people's stories. That's really what this podcast is all about is just how do people out there release the kingdom? How do Christians, how do children of an amazing king how do they release the kingdom in their everyday lives? And this is just an awesome story about a guy who came from darkness, came from a rough, rough background, a rough, rough family life, and found Jesus. It wasn't maybe the way that he expected. It wasn't the way his family expected, but he found Jesus nonetheless. And now his life has been transformed and he is giving it all away. He's given everything away. You guys are going to hear this story. It's going to rock your world. It's awesome. Here was my sit down interview with Rob Decker and you guys are going to enjoy this. Don't forget to rate and review on Apple podcasts. Don't forget to share this with your friends. Check out kingdombringer.com. Here we go. Be blessed. You're in Colorado Springs, is that right? I am. I am. Um, we, we've only been here for about a year and a half. I'm originally from uh, California. Rest in peace, Black Mamba man. Oh boy. Um, how that dude? How that impact you? Um, it broke me, bro. Um, you know, even growing up in the Bay Area, I was a, always a Lakers fan. And so when I graduated high school, Kobe grad. So Kobe and I are the exact same age. Oh wow! And um, so you know, Kobe carried me through my 20s and 30s, dude, and, and gave me a lot of entertainment. And he had this mindset about him. And initially, I was going to name my first son Kobe, um, but there was just it was either Kobe or I had Kobe like, or wanted, Mamba. 
One of the right. <laughs> well, you know, I wanted to also honor the Lord. I yeah. wanted to honor the Lord. And so I named my son Caleb because it's Old Testament. There but, um, but yeah, but you know, our daughter's name is Gianna. Oh, and, wow, yeah. and, uh, so Kobe was like my guy, man, I'm a Lakers fan. He's my favorite player of all time. And so, wow. you know, when you find out a guy your age that you looked up to dies, you know, it shakes you. And, and, and the thing, it's not, he wasn't just an athlete, bro. You, you know, you see pictures with him and his daughter, you yeah. know, he was a family guy, you know? And, and so, yeah, it broke me, dude. It's, uh, today we played softball. I was in a tournament and, um, I dedicated my first at bat to Kobe and Gianna and I, I hit a screamer over the center field fence. So it felt, it felt good. It felt good to kind of go Babe Ruth on it. Like, you know, yeah, and I'm going to, you know, so, but, <laughs> but honestly, bro, like it really broke me. I cried. Um, yeah, it was pretty rough, dude. You know, I've, I was kind of, I was wrestling with it a little bit because I have this for some reason, it always breaks my heart. I'm a big sports guy too, but it, yeah, whenever a celebrity goes down. Right. It it kind of bothers me when people come out of the woodwork and all of a sudden, it, you know, I get you, I, dude. I'm I'm trying to be as sensitive as possible, but like a Kobe fan now, yeah, right? Like, and I'm trying to be as sensitive as possible, but helicopters go down all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, yeah. I didn't want to like glorify this celebrity guy, but you're right where his impact was so great. Well, you know, I I just read an article right now of someone that lived um in the community of Kobe. She we're Facebook friends, and I met her through one of my one of my my um, mentors. I have a mentor who's a Christian motivational speaker, yeah. and so it's because of him he's that I'm actually in this place right now. Because ultimately, my goal is to make a a ministry and and a living off of being able to go out and share you know God's love through my testimony. And um, for sure, and she was talking about how like you know there were stories of you know, Kobe would go to the nail salon with Vanessa and the girls and he would just stand there. He wouldn't hide. He'd be in the open so that everyone could come up and talk to him. And, and, uh, he was just like super. Yeah. So she, she's like, you know, I'm just saying this is like, you know, this is what we saw in our community, you know? So yeah, yeah, man. So that was a heartbreaker. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit, bro, about your kind of your testimony, like where I know anger and rage and stuff like that was a big part of, of your story. Yeah. Um, let's, let's start there. Where, where did that come from and where did you see that kind of manifest in your life the most? Well, you know, honestly, it's very interesting because, um, you know, when I look at individuals and the things that they suffer from at our age, I mean, any age really, but you know, all of it takes place in childhood. And so for me, I was exposed to a lot of anger and violence and insecurity, um, you know, the fighting, all that kind of stuff, the drugs, the alcohol, the smoking, like all that stuff I was exposed to at such a young age. And for me, my biological father was never around my, my dad, I call him my dad. So I I don't want to confuse you, but yeah, you know, the man that raised me since I was six months old, like at some point I found out that he wasn't my real dad and my sister wasn't like my full blooded sister, you know, and, and, yeah. and at that age is where you start feeling that separation. And then you have your mom trying to do what she can to kind of, you know, make you feel special, but at the same time protect you because she understands the dynamics of what's inside the house, you know, and then, you know, ultimately it was just two people that shouldn't have been together. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I grew up in. I grew up in all this, this violence, man. And, you know, you and I are in the same age. So, you know, we grew up in an era where, um, you know, if the police were called on your parents, I don't know your story, but like if your 
if the cops were called for a domestic situation, basically what would happen is um, cops would come by, check out the situation. Worst case, you go to jail, but you, you don't even spend the night. Like right. you're, you're basically out a couple hours later and you're still intoxicated or, you know, and so then the fights would continue. And so there was just a lot of that in my house. And, and, uh, you know, I rebelled as a kid, you know, if, with me, it really started with stealing. Um, that was my outlet and, and breaking stuff. Um, you know, I, I was, I had a very good arm at a very young age. And so, and maybe this is what gave me the very good arm. At a very, yeah. Dude, I was a rock throwing son of a gun, bro. <laughs> dude, we would go on overpasses and dude, I would just nail these targets from long distance. And so for me, it was the excitement of getting caught but not getting caught and being able to evade the situation. And, and then as I got older, it really became more violent, you know, it became more into like challenging other men because, or young men, because, you know, in my home, my dad and I challenged each other, actual fist fights, man, Wow. Uh, between uh, times where I pulled a knife out on my dad and he just turned it around on me. Um, so there was a lot of violence in my house and my dad was kind of like that alpha male. He was strong personality, strong man. He was a fighter in the Marines. Uh, he was a shorter guy. So he kind of had like that, that Napoleon thing going for him, yeah, you know? And, yeah. and so that's what I was up against. And so, because I couldn't beat my dad and, um, very young, I would allow to get myself picked on. But at one, at, you know, the moment I became a freshman in high school, I just couldn't have it anymore. I just, I basically became my dad. I morphed into him. And, yeah. and that was before the drugs and alcohol entered because it was maybe the end of my freshman year or my sophomore year where I started ingesting alcohol and drugs. And then through the, the four years of high school, you know, it was a, a lot of different type of drugs. And it got to a point that I was drinking a lot of alcohol you know, and just becoming extremely violent. I mean, I, you know, I went to juvenile hall twice when I was pre 18, um, had a shotgun pulled out on me. Wow. Um, yeah, man. Um, and where, lots did, of fights. where did you grow up? I, I grew up in Northern California, okay. so, you know, and, and we fell into the hip hop culture, you know, when you're listening to Tupac and Snoop Dogg, you yeah. know, you have a certain mindset and, and when you're not really being raised at home and you know, you're, a you're, you're pulling in the behaviors of, of the lyrics that these, these entertainers speak of, you Absolutely. know, um, yeah. dude, I remember going to school, gin and juice, man, yeah, like man. Snoop Dogg, right? right. You know, uh, Alize and weed, yeah. right? Like yep. Tupac, you know, yep. but these are, this is exactly what we we're doing. And that's what was, and, and that's what was molding me. Um, it, right before we started this, we were talking about the whole Kobe thing and, in 1996 is when Tupac Shakur died, and he was kind of the guy that led my path, right? Well, rookie year was 1996 for Kobe, wow. so that was kind of – right, crazy transition there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that was a lot of my childhood. Um, so was you, know, your, just, you, you had mentioned your dad and yeah. you know, with, the, with the, combative, the combative stuff. Was there alcohol involved with him too? Oh, totally, man. Okay. My – you know, when I was young, I would walk in and, and, and see my parents doing drugs. And at the time, I didn't know exactly what it was, but it just wasn't, you know, it's not. But it all became normal behavior for me, too, to see those kind of things. And so my dad was a, you know, he was a big drinker, man, real big drinker. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my my dad, actually, I lost him um, not last year, but the year before at the end of the year. So a little bit more than a year ago, October 10th. Uh, my dad died of a meth overdose. So, uh, so you know, there never, was, so he uh, never, he never got out of it then. 
No, my dad couldn't get out of it. My mom's been sober for close to three years now, so my mom finally did, but she's 60. And my sister, you know, she's having a hard time. My sister's only 18 months younger than me, so, you know, my sister and I don't get to talk too much. I try to reach out as much as I can because I love her and I want the best for her, but I think there's a part of her that, you know, it's hard for her to talk to me, you know, in her perspective, seeing that big brother's doing good in life and she's still struggling, and and I, I feel for her for that because... I don't care where she is in this life. Like I, I want to be her brother and I want to be there for her. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You know, um, so you got into to, to fitness and sports. Is that something that was a big part of your youth too? Yeah. You know, I was really a base baseball was my first love. Okay. Um, my dad would take me to Oakland A's games when I was in kindergarten and you know, it's a big deal when you get to stay out past bedtime. So you know, you drive us out. See, I, gr- my I grew up an Ace fan too, so that's what's strange. Yeah, I was a big Bash Brothers guy. So, well, I'm a yeah. McGuire was my dude. Yep. You know, McGuire's. You know, it's crazy because all the guys that I've idolized over my life, um, all my pre-Jesus stuff, man. Yeah, um, BC. You know, it's BC like, Rod. BC, it's dude. That's hilarious, <laughs> dude. I. That's what I call myself to a lot of my dude. Hey, BC Rob. You know, hey, BC Rob. So that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> thanks bro. Um, yeah. So, but it's very peculiar, like how y- you just are drawn to particular, uh, figures, man. And and it's tough because, you know, now being a father, I, I want my sons to look at me and to look at me as a role model. Right. And, um, and, uh, I didn't have that as a kid. Like I love my dad. Um, after everything we've been through, you know, you know, losing my dad to drug overdose because he couldn't grasp it. Like, um, because my dad was like, you gotta be a man, you gotta be a man. But I never really had a chance to look up to him because he didn't really lead by example in that sense. Um, he was a really hardworking guy, but he just, so I was always seeking, man. I was always looking and crazy stories. When I was a teenager, I actually met my biological father. So my, my dad had left the house my mom was so my parents were both like on one man and so they were both out of the house my sister and i were living in a four bedroom house by ourselves and there was a long period of time where we had no food we had no electricity it was like tough times and um my mom decides hey well maybe we should get robert to meet his biological father and um yeah i met him I came home from school one day, walked in my mom's bedroom, and he was smoking the glass pipe, dude. You know? Um, hey, Dad. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's up? I was, like, excited <laughs> to be like, I'm over here like, hey, I'm a pretty good-looking kid. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I, I got I to see what this dude looks like because if uh, he looks like me, he's got to be, you know, what a arrogant little turd. Yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I turned out much better looking, but whatever. It's <laughs> uh, besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> but, but, yeah. so but, good. But, but then, you know, and, and then I met him and then, you know, my mom and dad were separated and my mom and my dad was living with his girlfriend and my mom had uh, a boyfriend and pops, you know, and I just lost pops like four years ago to, um, he couldn't stop hitting the bottle, you know? So you're talking about all these male figures that I've had in my life, like that I've adored from afar or that were close to me or, or should have been close to me. And, um, I've lost them in some realm or. You know, I haven't with my biological father, I've actually in the last couple of years tried to reach out to him and, you know, he doesn't really want to have anything to do with me. And so um, that's tough because I'm all about, you know, wanting to have 
you know, relationships with people and, and giving God's love to these people, regardless what I've been through, Yeah, you know, um, cause I've been through it, man. You know, I know that, you know, that part of my story was a suicide attempt, you know, um, let's talk about that, bro. Let's, let's talk about, it. so let's talk about some, some relationships. How, how, how are yeah. your relationships with women? From, oh, let's talk from about this. it. Let's get, let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. So, so ultimately like, if I got into a relationship with a woman or a young lady that was a little bit more passive or a pushover, dude, I would walk all over it, man. And, and I would take advantage of that situation. And I was, but my thing is I was really insecure, you know, um, I needed validation, um, by girls that liked me and wanted to sleep with me. You know, like, and so even if I had a girlfriend, just the fact that another girl liked me, you know, I would, I would, I would chase that, you know, um, I hurt a lot of people, man. And, and, you know, I think that in my whole life, you know, there's a, a couple really nice young ladies that I hurt really bad. And, And those are things that I do regret. I try not to regret too much in life because your life experiences is what made you who you are today. As long as you're heading in the right direction, you know, it's like you get to learn from all that stuff. But I hurt some really good people, man. Yeah, man. And and that's a total bummer. And so, you know, but then there would be the relationships where I would was really in, intrigued by the 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 chaos of the dysfunctional relationship, you know. And the reality is is that I saw dysfunction growing up, so that was my normal. You know, my normal was dysfunction. So things made sense. So when things were cool and calm and collected, like that didn't make sense. That wasn't fun. That wasn't stimulating for me. Yeah. And through the the chaos and abuse, like I needed that stimulation. And so that leads up to was it a ma- was it a matter of just kind of feeling like you were out of your element if things were calm? Is that what that yeah, was? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because I couldn't I needed chaos because I was so hardwired for chaos. That's you how know, you functioned. You, yeah. yeah. I, I, I grew up in that environment. You know, it's funny because, you know, say that I had ADD, like, I don't think I really had ADD. I think that I learned how to kind of disconnect with, with stuff around me. Like my parents would be fighting and I'd be nose deep in my, my baseball cards, you know, like yeah, I put mean. my headphone, like, so ADD, like, I just don't think I developed certain areas in my brain that were on focus and calmness, like because of everything that was going around me. So my mind started to develop and wire a certain way. And and, and that kind of just grew that way throughout life. And, and, um, it's something I recognize as an adult, you know? So let me ask this then, because I've, you know, I, I grew up in, in a, in a, a pretty good Christian home. Um, but I did get to witness, you know, my parents get divorced when I was like 10 or 11. Yeah. And my dad kind of went back to his old, drug using womenizing yeah. way. And I, so I grew up with, I'm not going to be like that. Like that's, yeah. that's how I grew up. How was that for you? I mean, like you, you obviously well, didn't admire that lifestyle, right? No, or did you? Okay. No, I, I didn't admire that lifestyle, but the drugs and the alcohol, like my heart is to help people that struggle with drugs and alcohol and people that come out of trauma and abuse. And, and the truth is, is that the drugs and the alcohol really change an individual. And, um, I became my dad when I was under the influence. Um, again, it's, it's learned behavior. Like I learned so much of that stuff, man. And it, 
you know, it just it's it's planted deep inside of who you are. And it really takes self-reflection and the the willingness and desire to change for all that stuff to change. And so I, I really became my dad. And and I think and we'll jump back into the suicide attempt. Yes. Uh, um, um, you know, it was after I survived that and uh, that I realized I had purpose and in that process of healing, I was able to forgive my parents for all the junk I'd been through. And it allowed me to love my dad, but I didn't have to become my dad, right? The drugs, and, the drugs and the alcohol allowed me to become him because I was just mirroring his behavior. Um, but when, when, but I never thought I had purpose. And so when I was 29 years old, I met a young lady. And I was so far down, like I was actually dating another young lady who was very nice, very sweet. And um, I took advantage of that situation. And I met another young lady while I was selling drugs. She was a bank teller and I was cashing a check. We, we, we flirted and exchanged numbers. And I knew, man, I knew, I knew, <laughs> bad idea. Yeah. But I decided to jump in because it's exciting, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm so excited. This is a new high. And, and, um, you know, really early on, we we both saw, showed each other signs of you know our insecurities and our fears and and dysfunction. Um, I I recognized very early on that she was either molested, raped, taken advantage of, of some uh, on some level um, at a young age, and so she had a lot of dysfunction there. And and we got to a place in our relationship where it got physical, and it was like you know what. I have to walk away from this situation because this is going to get bad. And I did. Well, when I did, I actually had connected with my buddy who kept trying to bring me to a Bible study so that I could become saved. Right. Um, and I pushed it off for such a long time. I'm like, (laughs) yo dude, that's cool. Jesus works for you. I'm good. God loves me for who I am, you know, creating my own God and my own doctrine. And, um, and exactly what I did it. But so when I was, you know, now, trying now that I was giving my life to Christ and going to church and reading the word and hanging out with these other guys, um, she went off and she became an escort, you know, her dad, her dad had let her left her family, uh, with another woman with their family business money. And so, um, she had those trust issues in the relationship and, 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 and she felt like she had to be self-sufficient, you know? And so she started making money on her own, man. And, um, yeah. I found out about it and I reached out to her cause now I got my Jesus cape on dude. Cause you know what? There you I go. I got my Jesus cape. Yeah. And even though I'm still, I'm still <laughs> doing Coke and drinking 40 ounces of malt liquor, <laughs> I'm going to save you girl. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's not how it works, dude. I promise. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. No, that's so true though, man. And uh, I, I jumped back into it, man. And, uh, and, uh, the deal was this, you know, that she would get rid of all of her clients and that her and I would work some stuff out and we would pursue a relationship. And on her very last for, according to her, this was her very last client. I knew she was taking this trip. She went to Hawaii and, um, while she was there, she got raped and humiliated by the dude she was with. She sent me uh, text messages of her with black eyes, and um, she was like, "You know what? When I get home, we're gonna make this happen." We're gonna... She's like, "I'm so sorry for the things that I did to you." And in reality, it was dude, it was a two way street. You know, I did some foul stuff for too. sure. You know, it's, she's not, you know, all to blame and all this. And uh, 
And so, dude, we were watching Lakers. We were watching my man Kobe, and it was a playoff game, um, Memorial Day weekend. And uh, and she picked me up from the house, and we shot to the liquor store, headed back to her her loft. And st- what year was this? Two thousand and seven. So okay. it was Memorial Day, two thousand seven, May twenty eighth, and we head back to her spot. And we get into a conversation and, and dude, I'm spun. You know, I, I have, I got the, the God factor now. I know this is just a sketchy situation. We'd already been through all this other pre-physical trauma drama. And um, she just got raped and beaten and humiliated. You know, I'm, we've been drinking. There were so many elements to it. And so um, we were supposed to get intimate and I went downstairs um, to shake it off. And, uh, I wake up to a banging at the door and she comes downstairs and I I look at her and I'm like, what's going on? And she looks at me and she says, I called the cops and told them that you raped me and that you tried to kill me. And in that moment, my whole flat, my whole life flashed before me. And, you know, I felt so hurt and betrayed and confused and scared and whatever negative emotion that could come with it. And, in that moment, I was like, you know what? I just can't do this. Like, I'm not going to go to prison for something I didn't do, you know? And um, I'm, I'm like, it's over. And so I ran headfirst out of a three-story loft, supermaned it out of a window, a closed window. And when I broke through the window, the second level, my foot clipped an awning and changed my fall. And I hit the concrete, um, shattering my left arm, breaking my right wrist, collapsing my left lung and breaking my lower back. And I just laid there in a big hump of, of flesh. Um, I could barely breathe. I hurt so bad. I never blacked out, man. And I, uh, look up at that window and I'm asking God, like, why, why would you let me live? You know? And the EMTs get there and they pick me up, man, take me to the hospital. And I remember the pain of waiting for surgery. It was, dude, it was intense. I, it hurt so bad. And I was so dehydrated. And um, I went in for a 10-hour surgery, woke up the next morning. Police came in. They're like, Mr. Decker, you're under arrest for rape and attempted murder. And here's a, a million-dollar bail. Yeah. Wow. Um, I had a external fixator on my left arm. I had a cast on my right arm. I had a back brace on. I had tubes coming out of my nose and my neck, wires coming off my chest. Um, it was wild, man. Uh, I was on like a boatload of morphine and dilated. And uh, here I am just in this bed. And now I'm facing never walking again, um, prison, all these bills, um, just no hope for a future. And, um, a couple days pass by and this, this cop is just grilling me, man. He's giving me a hard time and he's reading his police report and he's just like, Mr. Decker, you're such a bad guy. You know, I'm, I'm reading the report here, you know, dude, he was, he didn't want to be there, man. He, I mean, he was on his phone or, or yeah, I think he was on his phone and, um, you could tell he was battling with somebody, I think, and maybe fighting with a wife or a girlfriend or something. And he just didn't want to be there, you know, um, I was not a flight risk. I promise you that. And, uh, (laughs) you know, he's grilling me. And then all of a sudden I break down crying and I'm like, you know, sir, like I've done a lot of bad stuff in my life, but that's just not something I would do ever. And uh, if anything, I I cared about that girl and maybe I didn't show it the right way, but that's what that was. And, and I I start breaking down and the nurse comes in and she's like, Mr. Decker, you're going to have to calm down. I can't have your blood pressure up. 
And um, as she's leaving, guess who shows up in a disguise? Um, got her hair done. She put glasses on. Um, and the cop looks up, just baffled, man. His whole, everything about him changed. And he's like, is that who I think that is? And I was like, yeah, it is. And uh, he escorted her out and I never saw her again. And he was like, you know what? For someone who'd been through all that, that just does not make sense right there. And, uh, wow. yeah, later that night I was laying in bed and I'm asking the Lord, like, what are we going to do? Like, this is, I'm here, I'm here for a purpose. Like the only thing I had going for me at that point, because I was basically homeless, I wasn't working. I didn't have my license. I was still a drug addict, alcoholic and all that stuff. I just recently got saved. I just, I didn't have anything going for me. And I asked, was asking the Lord, I was like, you know, what are we going to do here? And all of a sudden, man, this, this, this peaceful calm comes over me from head to toe, like a moment of no pain, silence. I mean, if you've ever been in a hospital, it's not silent by any means. And it's not dark. It's not, not, it's not peaceful. It's not dark. (laughs) It's very well lit. Right. And, um, but all that for a moment, just like was suffocated. And I just hear the charges will be dropped. Your bills will be paid and you will walk again. And I doze off into this vision of wow. playing soccer and dude, the soccer thing is like, dude, I don't even like soccer, but whatever, Lord, <laughs> whatever we're doing here. And, uh, yeah. I woke up a few hours later and everything was back. Lights, chaos, sounds like a pain, lots of pain. And, uh, another cop came in to check on me or to hang out with me. And he said, Hey man, I just want to let you know that they're, they're going to come in over the weekend and they're going to drop the charges. And, um, yeah. And so they came in cop, different set of cops. They're like, Hey man, Mr. Decker, we, we wish the best for you, man. We want you to get better. They were really cool, man. And then, um, and at that point, because I was a, a prisoner of the state, basically, you know, I was arrested. I was shackled to the, to my bed and, um, they finally let me have visitors and it was my mom and my mom's out there talking to the the neurosurgeon and she's breaking down crying and I'm already knowing, like I know exactly what's being said. And she, uh, uh, walks in and I'm like, what's going on, mom? She's like, ah, nothing. I'm like, what'd they say, mom? I'm like, nothing. Like, I know what they said, you know, like, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I know, Hey, I'm never going to walk again. I get it. And, um, and, uh, my mom looks at me with the most sincere. And here's the thing about my mom and I, we had a rough and rugged. So my mom comes out of a background of like, she was raped and beaten and she's been in bad relationships. And, you know, my mom's been thrown through the ringer her whole life too. So here I'm her oldest child and now I'm getting thrown through the ringer. And she looks at me with the most sincerest look. And she's like, son, I just wish everything had ended that day. Um, I don't think my mom wanted to suffer. She didn't want to see me suffer. And, um, at that point, nurses walked in and they're like, we're going to try to get you to stand today, Mr. Decker. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to, for a fact, cause I couldn't even roll on, over on my side without being in immense amounts of pain. But, um, you know, I know what Jesus did on the cross, man. And, uh, and, uh, I couldn't help but think of Isaiah 53 and the passion of the Christ. And I had my mom in the room and I had to give that woman hope had to give my mom hope. And I said, okay, I'm going to try this Lord. And the moment I tried to get up, man, I squealed. It felt like my back broke all over again. And they had to inject pain medication through my tubes in my neck, laid me back down. It was like, it's not happening. Um, shortly after that neurosurgeon comes back in, we're like, Hey, we're going to perform another surgery. And so they did. And I remember about two days after laying there, 
nurses come in like, hey, Mr. Decker, we're going to get you to walk. And I was like, cool. So I sit. I'm able to sit up in my bed. I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. And I get out of the bed and I'm able to drag my left foot. And the nurse takes me into the hallway. And I'm excited, bro. I'm like, I'm full of joy. Well, I'm, I'm full of morphine. Yeah, I'm full man. of morphine, but I'm full of joy. I'm like, it's, um, joy is a power. Joy is a powerful drug. <laughs> and uh, I don't right? need morphine, yeah, but I had yeah, some. Sure. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> oh, I needed it. <laughs> and the dilated. But so we get into we get into the hallway, man. And uh, I'm so excited. She's like, "Okay, I want you to walk." And I basically I have full function on my right side, but not so much my left. So my my rights work in hundred percent. Right. And so it's like sprint Hussein Bolt do left side. On the other hand is like, eh, well, we're not going to do much work. <laughs> and I do this thing where I do like this half circle and I, and I run right into the wall and I couldn't help but laugh at myself, man. Cause I was excited. I was excited. Like, dude, I'm moving. I'm on my feet. And the nurse with the concern in her face, she's just like, Oh, are you okay? Okay. And I'm laughing, man. And I'm just happy. Like I'm happy because I know that I'm headed in the right direction. And you know, the words that were spoken over me were, were coming to light, yeah. man. And you know, I spent six weeks in the hospital and then my mom had to come get me out and I stayed with her for a little while and my pops, but that was a tough situation because everyone had their stuff, man. And so my friends let me stay with them, but my back wasn't healing in the process. And so, um, I had to have a third surgery and they changed neurosurgeons on me, man. Uh, and I'm really glad that they did. Cause this guy was a, a huge blessing in my life and he's still my friend to this day. Um, we, we, we've talked on the phone and stuff and, um, yeah, uh, I had another surgery. Then my, one of my closest buddies is like a brother to me. He, uh, um, came to visit me at my hotel room cause I couldn't go back to my previous situations and he wanted to see where I was at, brought me back into his house. And I spent the next, what, three, four years rehabilitating, eating myself into good health. Uh, I started working out again and in that workout process, man, it was so hard. I mean, talk about learn about growing spiritually, being broken and growing spiritually, yeah. but also physically. And then doing the same doing the, you know, when you're so broken physically and you're really God is the only thing you could really lean on, um, you just have a different relationship with him. And so un unfortunately, that's what it took for me because I'm like one of his stubborn, hard headed kids. Yeah. Um, he really had to take me out, man, allow me to take myself out. But um, there's a level of humility yeah, but, there, right? That like was necessary oh, for you to become, yeah. become who he wanted you to be for sure. Right. I, well, yeah, you, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I remember going to the park. I used to, you know, I was, I was, I was Steph Curry before Steph Curry. I promise you that, bro. <laughs> I was, I was hitting them threes long range, you know, like, but, um, but, you know, I remember going to the park and trying to shoot a layup and I, I, I would barely hit the rim. I couldn't even hit the backboard, you know, and just re remembering that, man, I was a pretty athletic guy and now I could barely even like function properly and move well. Yeah. And, um, I spent the next few years, you know, getting, um, getting healthy again. And I had a lot of good people in my corner. God put a lot of good people in my corner to make that happen. But you know, a lot of my prayer was this, like, Lord, you're going to have to take me off the alcohol because I was still struggling. I was still using it as medication. Um, plus I was on the medication. I was on five or six, seven different type of medications and for the pain. 
which I needed for a season as I was building my body, but also dealing with the pain of the injury. Sure, yeah. But you know, it's like, Lord, you know, obviously I'm not strong enough to do any of this myself. So, but slowly, but surely, like I started getting off all the pain medication and about four years after my broken back, I, I met a young lady. So I finally was like, my buddy's like, yo, bro, you got to get a job, <laughs> you know, and I'm living on, well, I'm living off a disability. So I have one buddy saying, you need to get a job. And my other buddy saying, Hey, you know, um, you know, you, you, you know, the Lord wants more for you than to live off a disability. You know, and I really thought about that. I was like, you're right. He doesn't want me living off the government for the rest of my life. Like I'm able to go do this. Yeah, man. Um, trust me, getting out of bed every day was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm like, you know what, you, you know, you guys are right. And so I, I, I find this job at a gym and the, and the Lord really pressed on my heart. Like you're going to use your life experiences to go help others. And you're going to use fitness as, as an avenue to do so. And so I got a job at a gym while I was working at this gym, the manager took one of the sales girls and was like, Hey, I want you to train with Rob. And I want you to tell me what kind of trainer he is. And, um, shortly after that, she lost her job and then I lost my job. And, um, I'll I'll fast forward real quick. We have two beautiful kids together and we're married. And thank you, Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the crazy thing is you're coming out of disability and you're like, dude, is any chick ever going to want me (laughs) with all this damage, you know? And and so I met Alyssa and, and that was amazing. And, and, um, but there was still work to be done and, and I was still struggling with the alcohol. So very early on, you know, um, I remember going to the bar or, or to BJ's bar and grill with Alyssa with our first day. I buy a pitcher of beer and she looks at me and she's like, you know, I don't want any of that. You know, she looked at me and she says, I don't like that. And in that moment, I just knew that the Lord was going to use Alyssa as a vessel to get me to quit drinking. And I didn't know how, but I knew it was going to happen. Nine months into our relationship, I got the behind the wheel in a car that her deceased grandpa bought her, dude. And I crashed it and I had to run and hide and fell in a creek and went under someone's house. And here I am, you know, what, four and a half years after God gave me the ability to work out, to work, gave me my life back, uh, introduced me to a young woman, um, man, life was good, man. And I'm under this house and I'm pleading with the Lord. I'm like, you know, God, you're pretty just. And I deserve to lose my license. I deserve to lose this new job where I was crushing it. I became a manager in such a short period of time. I was crushing it, man. Like life was good. Um, you know, I was off all my pain medications and here I am goofing off hitting the bottle. And I told the Lord under that house, I said, Lord, if you bail me out of this situation, I will uh, move to Southern California where Alyssa was originally from. She was, she had just graduated San Jose state in Northern California and she was originally from Southern California. So she just graduated. I, I will move to Southern California with her so she can be close to her family. I will quit my job cause that kind of goes with it, you know, and I'll never drink again, Lord, you know, just bail me out of this situation. And, you know, it was a crazy situation. If there was more time to talk about all the other things that unfolded, yeah. it's kind of like the book of Acts, bro. Like, <laughs> trust me, all day, all day. But, but, but long story short, with that part of the testimony, you know, ultimately he bailed me out. And so we moved to Southern California and got married. And, um, you know, I, I stayed in the fitness realm and I continued to build my body up. And then, 
uh, for our honeymoon. Alyssa and I came out to Colorado and fell in love with Colorado. The Lord put it on her heart that we were going to move here. Um, at first I thought it was just a cool, beautiful place. Um, now that I'm here, I understand that my ministry is needed here. Um, I see what he was doing. He's a sneaky, he's a sneaky little guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's a bad Jesus is quite. And, um, so let's talk about, let's talk about that, bro. What is your ministry? Like right now where you're at in Colorado Springs, what do you feel like? Why do you feel like the Lord led you through where he led you patiently determined to this point? Like why are you where you're at right now? Well, you know, ultimately, um, he wants me to help those that struggle with. So me jumping out of that window that night, that's a perfect storm of events, man. Suicide was something I considered from a very young age. Um, you know, so I'm here and it per capita, it ha- Colorado has the highest young man suicide rate wow. in the United States. So I'm like, oh, Lord, I get it. And I was a youth that had no guidance, right? So there's the youth, there's the suicide. And you I was and you had mentioned that like you, you felt like you had no value, right? None. Before? No so, purpose. Yeah. Well, in the hospital, God gave me purpose. Like, you're here for a reason, wow. you know? And that's what gave me hope. And even through my re- rehabilitation, it wasn't my will, my man's will that got me up out of that bed. It was the fact that I had hope and purpose, even if I didn't see the end game, uh, you know, that would get me out of that bed and my feet hitting the ground because I, I, I knew I had a purpose as much as that purpose hurt right now in this moment. But yeah, so, you know, I, I, I also have a heart for those that struggle with alcohol and drug addiction yeah. because for me, bro, I really have dissected and I've allowed the Lord to give me great clarity on my situation. And at the end of the day, what makes it so easy for me not to run, there's many reasons for me not to run back to drugs and alcohol because God's grace is absolutely amazing. But, um, like I used all that stuff as medication, man. You know, I medicated myself, whether it was, I just didn't know how to deal with my feelings. I was confused about my feelings I didn't want to feel, I wasn't addressing, um, my childhood, but what allowed me to address my childhood was the fact that I could look at my mom and my dad and give them grace and forgive them for the rate, the, the things that had yeah, happened to awesome. me because I, because what I, what I understood was that that was passed to them. And just because they didn't break the cycle doesn't mean I can't. And so it got to me and I looked at them with, with love and grace. And I said, you know what? God has given me a lot of passes in this life. And um, I'm going to give my dad and my mom the same grace. And then I was able to fall in love with both of them. So when I lost my dad, it was no matter what he was doing to himself, I loved him with all my heart. And now I have a great relationship with my mom and my sister. Like I love them with all my heart, but I had to be able to forgive um, my, my upbringing. And I believe that a lot of my drug and alcohol problems stemmed from that. And so with the forgiveness and the grace and the understanding and the clarity and the love, like I was able to shake a lot of the, well, the drug and the alcohol situation. And so that's good, man, to um, like be able to recognize that it, for you, it was, it was medication. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, and so, sure. and so it isn't a matter of Rob, stop drinking, bro. Rob, stop yeah. using drugs, bro. Yeah. Because guess what? Something still needs medication. Right. Yes, something still need. Even when things were going good, 
There were things that needed to be medicated. And here's the truth. Here's the craziest thing. Like, this is what I tell people, you know, everyone's in a different process in a different place. And so I don't like dissect anyone for being a part of a, a certain group or, or, or support group or anything like that, or like seeing therapists, right. what, do what you need to do to take care of you. Um, my experience is this. And I remember, uh, I told a group of people one time, you know, they call alcohol spirit for a reason because alcohol was called spirits. And in some stories you can still call them spirits. And I said, they call them a spirit for a reason. You're consuming one, one spirit, right? right? Um, I'm consuming one spirit to, to drown out another spirit. Like I would uh, drown out the Holy spirit, bro. Yeah. Um, and then second of all, when it comes to drugs, let's take the word pharmacy. The, the word pharmacy actually comes from like Greek, Greek and Latin root word pharmacia. And if you ever look up that word, it means witchcraft and sorcery. Wow. So I am now putting a spell on myself through these medications. Now, don't get me wrong. There were seasons where I needed the medication, but my the, the end game was to get completely off of it and have the Lord help me in the process. But I had to, and fitness is a great avenue. We can, the fitness conversation is a whole nother conversation because what it does to you physiologically and functionally to the brain, yeah. you know, and, and what it's able to replace where the drugs were like consuming and damaging, like that's a whole nother conversation. But like, you're talking about witchcraft and spirits consuming your body. And so when I also came to those revelations, it was like, wow, that makes sense. So I'm medicating. That all makes sense. And so sometimes what we don't do is we don't really look at ourselves and say, what am I trying to bury? What is it that I'm not trying to do? That You know, I've had people come to me that were suicidal and we were able to unpack some relationship stuff. And some childhood stuff, and it was just like a light bulb went over their That's head, so good. and and it walked, dude. I'm telling you, like the Lord has put me in front of people that were suicidal. I had a kid who had put a gun to his head, and something we know that something oh, yeah. told him to go to church. Yes. He went to three churches, no go. Tells himself, I'm going to this very last church, or I'm blowing my head off. I'm done. Right? Yeah. He shows up. They happen to be having service. I happened to be coming there for the very first time to to check out that service. And the pastor I'd previously met um, for about an hour, and he was like, yo, Rob, I need you to talk to this kid. He wants to commit suicide. And I sat there with the kid, and we were talking. And all of a sudden, everything that I had been exposed to as a child, as a young adult, through my wow. addictions or Medicaid, whatever it is, all that stuff came to surface and I was able to pour into his heart. And then all of a sudden he's like, I thought I was all alone in the way I felt about this. And I said, not at all, man. And 45 minutes into our conversation, he's like, I just want to let you know I was going to kill myself tonight. I had a gun to my head and I just thank you to know that someone else made it through. And, um, wow. from my understanding now, like he's, and I, you know, I keep in touch with him once in a while, but like, you know, he's doing great, man. He's doing a lot better. You know, we all still have our challenges, but man, there's another gentleman I met a while back, 50 years old, fitness guy. Everybody loves him at the gym. Comes to me one day, man. What do you know about depression, suicide? I'm like, yo, bro, come over to the house. We're talking. Awesome. Yeah. Right. So, so he starts talking about his wife. He starts talking about his mom and I start 
like giving him perspective on his mom and his and his wife because I'm like I need a perspective on my mom and my dad in order for me to have forgiveness and grace so that I can move forward in life, right? I had this conversation, amazing conversation, prayed with him. His wife walks up to me like two weeks later, three weeks later at the gym said, hey, whatever you said to my (laughs) husband a few weeks ago, I've been dealing with that for 30 years. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, you know, and so but it was only because God gave me these revelations. And and I know that he put it in my heart to want to help people. But in order to help people, I I had to understand me. I understand why I did things. Because I can't just read something in a book, regurgitate it when I have all my own. You literally had to be able to stand there and see yourself in that young man, right? Yes. And that's, so that's the experience that you've had. I believe God actually trusted you to be able to go through the crap that you've gone through because he had plans for you, you know? So, man, I don't want to, I don't want (laughs) to, we're already almost an hour into this, so I don't want to keep you too much, but... I, I kind of shared with you a little bit about Kingdom Bringer and, and what the whole purpose of this yeah. is. It sounds to me like what you do throughout your days, throughout your time now is release the kingdom through fitness. Would you agree with that? That's one tool. So that's one. So tool. let's talk about yeah. that. Explain that real quick, like how you how you believe you are releasing the kingdom through through well, that. Ultimately, avenue. like, well, in the fitness realm. Um, when you spend enough time with people, uh, the walls come down and trust, trust happens. Um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of us have body image issues, man. You know, I did, you know, um, I used to get picked on. So I had body. So initially fitness for me was, Hey, I can make the outside look great. Everyone's going to respect me and love me. Right. Um, but we all know that I had some inner stuff that needed to be taken care of first. Right. And, And, um, it's crazy because my testimony is like, I needed to be broken. I was actually, 215 pounds look like a, a, a middle linebacker for a semi-pro team. Right. And then that's, you know, I, my body had to be broken to pieces so that God could work on my heart. And, um, and that's the thing, like I had to learn that that way. Wow. And so like my goal is to get in the hearts of people. Uh, if you want to train with me just because you want biceps and a chest muscles, man, that's cool. Um, but you know, what leads to, um, our insecurities is not loving our flaws and uh, what we believe are flaws. And, uh, and, and so my, my heart is like, man, how can wow. we get you to love yourself a little bit more, you know? And so, um, but that all comes through the way that it comes through. Like there's no program for that, bro. You know, uh, it could happen in one conversation, man. I've had kids that were yeah. socially awkward. I've had kids that were, you know, failing out of school and not doing what they need to be doing, kids with eating disorders. And a year into it, even when I'm like, oh, I'm throwing in the towel, you know, they have an aha moment and everything changes for them because you stuck it out with them. And sometimes it's just being a friend, a brother, a mentor, um, because young men lack that. Um, dads aren't around as much, whether they're checked out or you know, um, you know, divorce is a big thing. Families are being destroyed. Um, here in Colorado, it's very high in military. So you have dads coming back injured, medicated, post-traumatic stress disorder, which impacts the family, right? So you, you, you just have this, this destruction of family structure and, um, you know, men 
falling apart. And so you're trying to bring up this other generation of young man and they're just completely lost. I know because I was one of them. Right. Um, and so I have a heart for, for that. And so fitness really is uh, a big tool. Kingdom fit, uh, faith and training is really a tool for me for that. But then also I have Rob Decker speaks, which is where I go to churches and personal growth seminars and stuff where I share my testimony of my faith and my, my experiences. And, um, you know, hopefully through my trials and tribulations and the love of God, like someone has a moment where they're like, you know what, Hey man, if this guy can do it and he still is willing to, to give and to serve and to love, like, you know, why can't I do it? And so, so kingdom fit, what is this? This this is a a deal that you're running or what? It's my gym. It's your gym. Nice. Kingdom fit is my gym. So in my, my, my garage, so it's in my house. Like we have young children. And so, um, you know, I get to help, I get to stay home and raise my family. Um, but I, my garage is a strength training room. My, my basement has been turned into more of like the core rehabilitation room because of all my injuries, extensive injuries. I learned a lot of techniques to release muscle pain. And so I, I'm, I'm a personal trainer, but I have like additional skills that help people, um, get off of pain meds and get off, get, you know, walk away from pain. You know, I've, I've had people who were on three pain meds and, you know, I started working with them and been able to release that that's stuff, so good, and, man. you know, uh, but that's God, man. That's a lot of that's him working through me, dude. Yeah. You know, dude, that's awesome. So, what's, um, yeah. what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they do want to have you come speak or. Sorry. Yeah, it's robdeckerspeaks.com. So if you go to my website, emails there, uh, e- well, you can, you can fill something out, a form on there. Yeah. Um, it's rob at robdeckerspeaks.com. And I have kingdomfit.vip, which it's all really the same thing. I just, ultimately, I put my fitness on my speaking page because I think more people are going to get stuff out of my speaking than my fitness. My fitness is very localized yeah, yeah, yeah. where anyone worldwide, and I'm talking like Brazil, Japan, Canada, um, you know, all over the United States, like people have been able to listen to my testimony and they have access to my website. So they have access to all these, uh, um, podcasts and stuff where yeah, I can man. share my story. And so, yeah, it's Rob at Rob Decker speaks, man. That's awesome, bro. Yeah, bro. Can I, uh, can I pray for you, dude? Dude, totally. Are you against that? <laughs> Is that P R E Y or P R A Y? If you have no, just become a stalker, I did not ask yeah, if I could pray issue. on you. I want to okay, pray okay. for I, you. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, I get it. I don't want to stalk me too. I get it. That's, but, you know, hey, that's a good bro. dude. That's a good a good distinguishing word though, for sure. That's right, right. I need to yeah, enunciate yeah. well when I when I say that. Yeah, avocado Can is I? my safe word. So avocado, <laughs> avocado. Darren. Okay, well, avocado. I'm about to pray for you, sir. <laughs> Uh, all right. <laughs> Dear God, we just thank you so much for Rob. And I thank you, Father, for uh, just, I thank you for the mess that you put him through, Father. I thank you that you actually destroyed the things that he built up so that you could, like, perfect the things that you wanted to work on, Father, in his life. And I just thank you for the blessing that he is. I thank you for um, just the story that he has turned into your story, God, that he's not, he's not taking this story on as something that he's done or something that he's built, but he's giving you the glory for it, Father. And I just thank you for every life 
that is going to be transformed through the transforming work that you've done in Rob's life. And I thank you for his godsend of a wife. We thank you, Father, for her. Amen to that. We bless her, Lord, for, for the patience and the endurance that she's she's gone through to help Rob get to where Rob's at now. We just we pray blessing over his children and everything that he touches, Father. I just thank you that he has the privilege to release what you've given him. That you, He's actually giving away the gift, Father, that you've given him, a gift of redemption, transformation. We thank you for that, Father. We've been blessing over kingdom fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother, man. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, man. Dude, you're, a, uh, you're an inspiration, man. I don't even know you, but I love you, dude. Love you, brother, All man. Right. No, thank you. Kingdom, kingdom yes. brother. Yes. All right, buddy. All right, Talk brother. Talk to you later. Bye.